Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blake Street Irregulars, your local Colorado Rockies podcast. My name is Sean Drotar. You can follow me on Twitter at SDrotar. And as we have every week, Ronnie Court is with us at Ronnie K Radio on Twitter is where you find him. And is sponsored, as always, by Tap 14, 1920 Blake Street in Denver. 70 Colorado beers on tap, over 100 Colorado spirits. A seasonal menu that is absolutely delicious by Chef Taylor Creedon down there. They're on the rooftop of Haters & Co. Just catty corner of Coors Field's home entrance, so it's an just a hop, skip, and jump after the game, before the game. If you don't have tickets, hey, even during the game. I'll, I'll admit to have done that a couple of times. So uh, make sure you visit them at tap14.com. Spell it out, tap14.com. And, and Ronnie, let's get right into it. The Rockies uh, played in the All-Star game last night. Four Rockies there, uh, as many as they've ever had in a mm-hmm. game. Nolan Arenado becomes the first Rocky to get multiple hits in an All-Star game. Of course, that's all exhibition. What we, we should probably look at is the way the Rockies finished the first half on a 5-13 and 13 skid. There are a lot of folks that will look at it and say, all right, the sky's falling. That's what this means, that, that uh-oh, now we're in trouble. The sky's falling. This is the eventual swoon, and, and then the team's going to fall out of contention. But the truth is, this happens to a, a lot of teams during spans of the year. Remember, at, at one point last year, the Cubs, who won the World Series, went in a, a, a scenario where they lost 18 out of 20 sure. at, at one point. So. It's not necessarily abnormal. It's not reason to panic. But when you take a look at the, the way they finished in those last couple weeks, um, we'll get to the, the final game of the first half, which I think is, is something that might be a tone setter. What did you see with the problem? To, to me, when I looked at it uh, from afar, I was traveling from, for some of it, the offense seemed to go dark at the yes. wrong times. And this has been a problem all year. We've alluded to this on this podcast that the the strikeouts, the plate discipline for the Rockies, this is something in baseball, all all around baseball. The home runs are way up. Strikeouts are way up. The Rockies aren't any different. But in, in this case, they're still striking out at a higher rate than most National League teams. They're walking at a rate lower than most National League teams. And they're near the bottom in intentional walks, which indicates that teams aren't necessarily afraid of the Rockies' offense when you look at their lineup, even though on paper it looks very formidable. When you look at the way that shook out, where are you seeing the problems? Well, it, it certainly, I mean, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but exactly where you stated right there. With It's just they feel like they're pressing at the plate. It's uh, swinging and missing at, at bad pitches. You know, and uh, Bud Black talks about it in the clubhouse all the time about productive outs. And there were multiple scenarios in multiple games in that losing streak where you had a man on second and you had uh, no outs and you had an opportunity to move him over and you swing and miss, and you don't even put the ball on uh, or the bat on the ball, and you send it to the outfield, you move them over to third, you can get a sack fly situation, and then the game is totally changed. It wasn't a scenario where too many times they were getting absolutely their doors blown off, but 
they just didn't seem like they could put it together uh, for an entire game. And, and when they did get good pitching, uh, the, the hitting just wasn't there. And when they did get hitting, the bullpen fell apart. And so they they began to kind of get it back together towards the end. They finished 5-5 five and five in their last 10. So they started to somewhat ride the wave, started to get longer innings from the, the, the pitchers, which was nice to see. And then, of course, uh, ended with quite the bang, as you mentioned, uh, at the end with uh, Kyle Freeland's uh, gem. Right. Kyle Freeland in the very last game of the, the first half at Coors Field pitches really as as good a game as a Colorado Rocky has ever pitched. Now, we remember that there has been a no-hitter thrown in Coors Field. That was Hideo Nomo, uh, the Dodgers back in the day. But for the Rockies, that's probably the best performance I've ever seen a Colorado Rocky pitch. At uh, home, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and coming from a rookie, that's very exciting. The interesting part of that, too, is when you look at Freeland, in his last start prior to that, Bud Black came out and was displeased with the way he was pitching and chewed him out to the point where uh, local commentators and, and local newspapers were maybe saying that Black even crossed the line yeah. by being uh, so harsh and dressing Freeland down. Now, I, I know that can happen from time to time. I know that the tempers flare up and, and you realize that occasionally teammates will argue, coaches will argue, players will argue. But to a certain extent, it, it almost looks to me as if maybe Black once again pushed the right buttons because... Freeland came back in his next outing and almost throws a no-hitter. Oh, absolutely. So I think, I, the proof's in the pudding there, right? I mean, maybe maybe that's the wake-up call Freeland needed. Bud Black needs to go ahead and chew out every single pitcher and every single <laughs> if That's a, If that's how it's going to work, right? You know, I was talking, I, I didn't talk particularly with Freeland about this because I thought this was just uh, too much of a personal one-on-one subject that him, him and Black should share. Uh, but I talked to some other pitchers in the clubhouse and asking them about when that happens. Has that happened to you in the past? And those who said that they did have it, when it come when it's when it's feedback coming from a well-respected figure like Bud Black, somebody who has been in the league and has been to uh, successful deep postseason runs. It lights a fire under you. It, it, it allows you to kind of reset what happened in the past and say, you know what? Um, next time I go out here, I am going to throw with some fire. And I tweeted this out. I was not surprised to see Kyle Freeland throw a very, very good game uh, because there was a you could clearly tell immediately. I believe he had like six strikeouts through three innings. I mean, he was yeah, struck out the side in one in one of the innings. He was throwing with a little bit of anger and a little bit of I'm going to prove it to you that I, uh, I I deserve to stay in the rotation. And, uh, you know, this was a a really good sign to see from Freeland reacting from Bud Black, and again, we we we. This has kind of been the 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 theme of uh, how I've approached the Rockies this year with talking about the pitchers. Is this is so much more of a different team this year because it's Bud Black, because it's somebody who has been a pitcher. If 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 it's a previous uh, manager who goes out there and dresses down the the pitcher in front of Coors Field in front of everybody. I don't think the pitcher comes out and reacts that way because Walt Weiss has never been in that spot. And, and Bud Black knows how to touch the certain buttons for different players, too. You know, that conversation is not going to be the same with Tyler Chatwood as it is with a Kyle Freeland. So this was um, it, it was expert managing from Bud Black. And it was a real um, to, to end. I know a win is a win. 
it's it's just another notch in the wind column. But the way they won that game with the home crowd cheering for the home guy. Confidence is a real thing in baseball, though. It is real. And if you believe you can do something, the game seems to slow down. You know, you feel more confident what you're doing. It's it's not a game. It's a game that's played in short bursts. And and you can't do that without a certain amount of confidence at your best. And I, I think it is interesting to see, you brought it up, that one of the biggest things that, I, that Bud Black's brought to this team, and we've, we've talked about it a smidge before, is uh, in comparison to Walt Weiss, and, and we don't mean to keep throwing Walt under the, under the bus here, but the experience difference is, is shown, I think, in the fact that he understands how to manage each player individually. You're right, a Tyler Chatwood's not going to get the same discussion as a Kyle Freeland. Sure. Because Bud Black understands, I was at Tyler Chatwood's point at one point in my career, and I felt differently than I did when I was at Kyle Freeland's point in his career. So he, when you're basically sort of customizing the way you manage to the individual player, I think that's when they, they play best as opposed to a cookie-cutter type of thing. This isn't necessarily a college football type of uh, atmosphere where you can say this is the way our program functions fit in or, or don't bother it's not really works like that in it's baseball a lot more because fragile. you're asking these guys to go at times 18 to 20 days without a break in a row uh, there's it's a different kind of demand and so there is a different kind of, of flexibility required managing and i think when you the idea that maybe black went too far with freeland and the, i think the results bear themselves out that it turned out well but to go along with your point to kind of further burnish that Kyle Freeland that game was allowed to throw 126 pitches. Mm-hmm. For a guy his age, that's generally considered to be a no-no. But what Black did is he sent the clear message to Kyle Freeland that you recognize what I was trying to say. You've done better. I know that you may pitch another 15 years in your career, and you may never get this close to a no-no, yeah. and I'm going to be willing to let you take it as far as you can go. And that's then showing confidence in his young guy and saying, all right, you did what I wanted you to do. And now I'm going to let you reap those rewards for that as best as I can. And, and I think that's where it's huge is it's allowing that's him a, to. And it's more than just Freeland. That tells everybody on that yes. roster, mm-hmm. look, I, I will stick my neck out for you a little bit. I will give you more lease than I normally would when you're doing something special. And you don't have to worry about that. And I, I, I took the binoculars uh, to the to that day, thankfully, because I, I was observing Freeland, a, a very interesting, uh, it looked like the, him and Bud Black were having a discussion as the uh, the eighth was uh, ending and, and Freeland was about to go out for the top of the ninth. And the Bud Black pulled, because I believe it was Jordan Lyles who was warming up in the pen, and, and Lyles was there simply as a, a just in I mean, case, these, you know, these were, Freeland allows the hit, you pull Freeland right. out. Right, I mean, he's at a high number of pitches. And, you basically so you go until you either close it out or you give up a hit. And there was there was a very clear this is on this is you bud. This is your time to shine. This is your spotlight moment. You earn this. And and I think what you touched on is the other pitchers are going to observe this type of um, behavior and and this is this is great to see from a manager because not only is this uh, disciplining those who who needed it at some point. Look, there was a time where Freeland was uh, he was struggling and but he changed it and he turned it around and to see Bud Black then reward you for that. Um, you know, certainly I think the the All Star break being the very next thing to happen played into uh, uh, right into Black's hand in the ability to run up the pitch count a little bit more. I mean, certainly that was the close eye that you wanted to watch because 120 plus for a young pitcher don't want to get yeah, to that that's, range. Not very often. That's in the danger zone. But you are not pulling him. 
and um, and uh, you know missing the opportunity for him to make history. It it means a lot to these guys, and uh, I, I think this was approached and executed perfectly by Bud Black. So looking towards the second half, it's easy to look at it and say that the sky's falling. You look at the uh, the five and, and and thirteen finish, but as you pointed out, it was also want to look at it glass half full. It was a five and five finish. Now that's not outstanding but it's also not a losing record the, the Rockies now they are in third place in the in the NL West they are two games behind the Diamondbacks that's something that maybe they can make up but it's such an odd year that the NL West is so strong the Rockies have the fifth best record in all of baseball mm-hmm. despite being third in their own division so uh, the way they come out of the gate here after finishing uh, a June and then something of a July with really running the gauntlet of the NL West and truthfully the NL West getting the better of them with, with Arizona and the, and the Dodgers during that month. That's why they're in third and, and they do have some ground to make up. I don't think they catch the Dodgers at no point that I think they were going to catch the Dodgers. I didn't think the Rockies were going to win the NL West. The Dodgers have too much talent, too much money, too much of a margin for error. Uh, they're, they're too good. They have the best record in baseball and there's no reason to think it won't continue. Plus they have Clayton Kershaw who in his last starts it, you're curious last 13 starts he's 10 and 0 with an era under two that's pretty good so you know that's that's <laughs> just how it's going to shake out but the the wild card position is absolutely still in play for the rockies in fact they are in one of the driver's seats they have an opportunity coming out of the gate here to play some teams that are reeling the mets who are looking to potentially be sellers the trade that's deadline, deadline which is only a few weeks away sure the the padres the Pirates, who are uh, adjusting a little bit and look uh, unstable, they're certainly the best of those three teams they'll be facing, but uh, they're not exactly rolling over. No, bottom line, either. under 500. Right. I mean, so you're, you know. this is one of those things, these next nine games for the Rockies, uh, whether they're home or road, this, this feels like for this team to continue its momentum and to feel that, that, that they're not walking a tightrope the rest of the season. They probably need to win six of these nine. I don't care how they get the six, but it feels like they maybe need to win six of them. Uh, well, six would be the number because they need to win all three series. Uh, I think that so is... So it, ma- it does matter to you which they... You know, look, if they, they sweep the Padres and the Mets but then blow all three to the Pirates, that feels different to you than going two and one in yes. each series. They need to win all three series uh, as, as these are winnable series. And this is a prove-it point in time for the Rockies because we have given them the excuse, oh, well, they've been grinding for so long and they haven't had a break. Well, you had the all-star break. So there's no more excuses at this point. It is time for this Rockies team to prove it, that they absolutely belong in the upper half of the NL. We believe that they do. At least I believe that they do. Uh, They are a good team, but these are teams that good teams beat. And, uh, you know, for the Pirates, I know we want to talk about some of the good pieces that they have. They're below 500. That's a team that the Rockies should beat. San Diego is not a team you should be losing to, and nor are the Mets. The Mets are kind of the laughing stock of the MLB right now. Yeah, now the concern for the Mets. They're the punchline. They are. The the challenge, the Rockies will will start play on Friday. They will be in Citi Field, New York, and you will have the uh, the Battle of the Redheads scheduled to be John Gray and, and, and Jacob deGrom. Uh, two guys with some pretty fabulous flow there. Fabulous so, hair. So that'll be uh, that'll be something to to watch. But it, it is uh, it's one of those series that I, that I look at almost like you'd say it's a it's a bit of a trap though because while the Mets are a punchline, they have pitchers. Sure. Jacob Jacob Degrom is uh, he has nine wins on that team. That's a bad team. He's got nine wins. So I mean, he's clearly overperforming what his team is doing. He, he's carrying those guys in his starts. 
So this is one of those series where the Rockies can't necessarily look at the Mets' record and go, okay, because they have pitchers that can not only shut you down, but a guy like DeGrom, uh, these guys can put you into slumps single-handedly. So for the Rockies, it seems to me that the, the offense, more than anything, really has to work on taking some pitches. You put it earlier, productive outs. When you see a, an offense like the Rockies, they'll go out and they'll, they'll score seven and then one, or, or six and it's then so two. so inconsistent. Or, or seven and then get shut out. That's, that's where you find yourself getting beat in a playoff series. You need to be able to have a baseline and say, look, I know we can, we can put three on the board against anybody, sure. and then you know, we'll have to find out where it goes. The, the plate discipline is going to be a huge part of this for the Rockies. They need to take more pitches because what they're, what they're doing, from my perspective, and I want to get yours, Ronnie, on this, is the overly aggressive approach that they're taking and the, they are reducing the workload of the opposing pitchers. Oh, absolutely. They don't have to throw as many pitches. So you win series, these three, four-game series that you play. You buy, basically, you want the simplest way to break this down in baseball. Get into the team's bullpen first, you probably win. So in the Rockies' case, when they are not making those pitchers work, they're not making the other team dig into their bullpen early, they are setting themselves up not only for a failure in a single game, but a failure in the series because then the Rockies' bullpen is going to be the one that's overtaxed, and that's a significant part of the problem. One thing does play into the other. Oh, it's absolutely. Not, the, pitcher, the pitching and the hitting is not really working separately because if the hitting is getting it done, for example, when they had the 10-0 lead, now you can leave Kyle Freeland in. Now you can take that gamble and save your bullpen because, okay, he, he throws it right down the middle and it gets grooved and it goes 500 feet. Okay, well, whatever. You, you win 10-1. to 1. No big deal. But it, it does play into each other. And the Rockies' fatigue level of their bullpen, which is always being taxed over the year when you pitch a course field, it can be made worse by a subpar offense. Oh, absolutely. And an offense that is failing to manufacture runs. They have it's... power. They can knock in runs. But they're not manufacturing them from grinding out an infield single, getting the guy over to second by you know rolling at the opposite field, and then sacrificing a guy in or something like that. They're just not doing that. It's a domino effect. I mean, when you talk about swinging and missing on three pitches in the first two innings, you're talking about, one, not getting any data from that pitcher, not getting any tendencies. Yeah, you didn't learn anything. You're not feeling anything out, and the pitcher is uh, thrown, what, 15 pitches through three innings? I mean, you're then you're talking about them not needing to use your bullpen, and uh, again, as you get to the, se- as the second round of at-bats come along, you're still trying to feel out the starting pitcher, and now you're way behind the eight ball. And again, it goes back to then using the bullpen, and uh, it all kind of dominoes as it as it uh, goes along. So certainly, it's it's one of those things where just taking certain pitches and not being so antsy to uh, swing for the fences. You know, play into your advantage of being at Coors Field is put the bat on the ball. And, uh, you know, there may be a situation where with two outs, uh, you put the bat on the ball and there's an error to the throw to first base. And all of a sudden, Tapia is on at first. And Tapia is a speedster. He steals second. Now, all of a sudden, you're a single away from scoring a run. You know, and and that's the small stuff that I think the Rockies just have failed to do, and are uh, I wouldn't say have ignored it, but there just seems like the mentality of many of the swingers. They know they can hit the ball out of the ballpark, you know, and we and we know that they have that power, but it's just those those. Blue, those nice, just easy singles, doubles, those can be just as effective for you because, again, throughout all this, you're running up the pinch count and you're chasing away starters. And this is a, 
as great as a Jacob DeGrom is, we have seen this team beat very good pitching. Sure, you know? sure. And, and it's really interesting because it almost feels like we've talked about them beating a, a Madison Bumgarner, uh, Johnny Cueto, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw. Sure. It, it almost feels like they they lock in and truly focus against veteran pitchers. When we start to see them flail away at young pitchers, Pitchers where they almost feel like they expect to hit. It's like, oh, this this guy's like, you know, John, uh, Jose Quintana, he's 4-8, you know, he's a nice guy and all that. But let's face it, we can hit this guy. And then they're just flailing away at strikes, and all of a sudden Quintana's into the six, then yeah. he's only allowed two runs. And uh, well, it, They're letting the opposing pitchers get ahead in the count way too often, and they just don't have to work. You need to be able to grind out those yeah. at-bats, not, not only as a hitter for your own at-bat, but for the team in general. And, and it's... it's uh, I hesitate to use the word selfish because I don't think this Rockies team is selfish, but they their over aggressiveness at the plate sort of results in in play that appears selfish because you're not setting it up for the rest of your team and you're asking your pitchers to pick up all that slack. So uh, to my mind, that that it really is the key. It's funny the Rockies pitching is what it is. It's ro- young rotation is is talented. They're going to have bumps in the road. We've seen them, and I think they'll continue to look. Kyle Freeland certainly belongs in the majors. I don't think there's any question about that, and I don't think his near no-no was a fluke. He's going to still have games where he gives up six earned runs in in four innings. It's going to happen. That's normal. And the Rockies pitching staff, as strange as it sounds, I'm not very concerned about it except for the nature of fatigue. Could they use more long relief? Yes, they could. Most teams could. But the the bullpen is reasonably solid if they're not overtaxed. You just certainly don't want to overtax uh, Greg Holland, who has, uh, coming back from the Tommy John surgery, has been absolutely spectacular. But you don't want to overtax him as well. So, uh, to my mind, it really is the offense. And as much talent as there is, uh, stop trying to swing for the downs and ground out, grind out your at-bats. And this is going to be a much better team in the second half. Because it, it, every game counts the same. And I, I hate it when people look at the beginning of the season and say, oh, it's games in April. Don't worry about it. It matters in September. No, it matters just as much. Absolutely. The Rockies have a seven-and-a-half game lead on the, the Cubs and the Cardinals in the wildcard chase, specifically because they were better in the early going. So, it counts. But... The pressure does continue to ratchet up as the season goes along. And this is where it will be fascinating to see if the Rockies are up to it. And you can't just go up there and swing for the fences, even though you're capable of it. And there's, I think, too much of a temptation for too many of the Rockies hitters now that know full well, uh, if you're Arenado, if you're Blackman, if you're Carlos Gonzalez, who's having a disastrous season, Trevor Story, you have the power to put the ball out of the park. Doesn't mean you should try to do it every time. Absolutely. It's all mental. It's all mental in their approach at the plate. And, uh, you know, this all-star break may give them an opportunity to kind of relax a little bit, sit back, kind of analyze what they've done in that first half of the season. The the fact that we're kind of at that mental marker of halfway through the season, now we can say, let's look back. What did we do wrong and what can we correct? Hopefully that is something that, especially in the case of Carlos Gonzalez, can really help change because oh, – we really don't know what can happen with Carlos Gonzalez at this point. I mean, it, I think two and a half, three months now, that's not a slump. No. That's 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 a major issue right now. You can't send him down because what is he going to do? Like hit 700 against the AAA pitchers? Uh, he's just going to have to dig himself out. There's not really any value when it comes to a trade. You still like him as possibly a long-term piece, but also you don't want to get nothing out of him at the end of the year if he ends up walking. So it is kind of this awkward conundrum in this dance you're trying to make with a player who is uh, beloved here 
absolutely loved. Yeah, and is of course is unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. And we will definitely talk about Carlos Gonzalez probably when we come back next week because I think both of us would like to see him get a couple games in this weekend against the Mets and then start making a judgment because the Rockies will have to make a judgment as the non-waiver trade deadline happens on July 31st. So the Rockies will have a decision to be made there. I'm with you. I, I don't think that they, they move cargo away. But these next couple of weeks are going to be very fascinating because they have to decide, you know, is this slump or is this the beginning of the decline? Sure. What is that worth in a trade? What is that worth retaining him? Where are they at? And it will be fascinating. But we'll we'll touch on cargo next week. Wanted to make sure we talk, talked about the pitching there and, and break down what the Rockies have to do coming out of the gate. And it is, it is funny that we're talking about a Rockies team with this offense and basically saying, what do they need to do? They need to be better at the plate so it is interesting to see uh where the rockies are at but it's also maybe good to see this sort of argument because it means that the entire franchise is maturing and is more well-rounded culture has changed. than it has probably ever been and it's a lot of fun to do that so uh make sure you follow ronnie's there all the time make sure you follow him on twitter at ronnie k radio uh, he is ronnie court at mile high sports makes everything work here basically you know think of uh Think of Star Trek and Scotty. Yeah, that, that's what Ronnie does. <laughs> it makes it, everything works. And he always manages to get it done faster than you think, you think it's going to be. So uh, that, that's his role here. And then he is at Coors Field all the time in that clubhouse talking to everybody. So give Ronnie a follow. My name is Sean Drotar. You can follow me on Twitter at SDrotar. That's S-D-R-O-T-A-R. And if you wanted to catch more of that, you can always catch me at milehighsports.com uh, or on air in Denver, 1340 AM, 104.7 FM, as I uh, co-host the morning show there with Nate Lundy. So you can find us in all sorts of different ways. And I want to thank our sponsor, as always, Tap 14. Uh, we will be out there next week for the uh, the Wednesday game, for the the, the uh, 19th. We'll be out there as the Rockies uh, come back to Coors Field, take one of those day games for a beautiful uh, July afternoon out at Tap 14, the rooftop beer garden there at 1920 Blake Street. Just a hop, skip, and a jump from Coors Field. 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado spirits. Everything is Colorado up there. It's the perfect place to cheer on your Colorado Rockies before, after, and even during the game. If you're one of those people like me that on occasion might not get there till the second inning, that's okay. Nobody judges you. So come on out next week and, and uh, come and say hi. Meet us in person. So thank you very much for your time, Ronnie, as usual. We'll check in with you next week. Thank and you, I, I, I think we will. Talk specifically about Carlos Gonzalez as that decision is going to come to a head for the Rockies sooner rather than later. But for now, we will bid you adieu. This is the Blake Street Irregulars, a 5280 Sports Network production.